In 420 years, reality as we know it will cease to exist. In its place, we will find a new dimension, unlike anything that's come before, and totally fucking better. Take a deep breath and open your mouth to let your magic out. This is no ordinary podcast. This ritual is a ritual. 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 My name is Devin Person, and I'm America's number one wizard. And if you've never listened to this podcast as a ritual before, well, you picked a very interesting episode to start with. But let's just roll with it. Nine years ago, to this date, I performed a magic ritual to become a wizard. My thinking at that time was that I really couldn't change my past. And I didn't really believe there was a way for me to hop into an alternate multiverse and suddenly change my circumstances just like that. So that left me with only one direction in which I could create change, which was the future. So from that moment, I imagined that of all the possible directions my life could take, because I was thinking about becoming a wizard, there was therefore a set of possibilities where I did become a wizard. And of course, within that set, there were going to be some possibilities where I failed, where I got hit by a bus the next day, where I was not ever a successful wizard, and there would be other possibilities where I was. It's now been nine years, and I think that means that of all of the possibilities I could have encountered, I'm at least on the track where I didn't immediately get hit by a bus. So that's good news for me, and hopefully for you because otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Now, I often get asked, what does a wizard do? And for the first several years of being a wizard, I didn't know either. It's debatable eh, It's debatable whether I even know today. But the thing is, I knew that I had to start somewhere. So with that idea of becoming a wizard, I began to explore what that could mean. I figured a wizard dressed like a wizard, so I had to get a set of wizard robes. And a wizard talked about magic, so I wrote a little book called Mysteries of the Deep, where I laid out some of my theories on magic. And for the first couple of years, that was pretty much all I did. But eventually, I got tired of people saying, oh, you're a wizard, that's so cool. How do I follow you? (laughs) How do I interact with this? This is cool. I don't know what to do with what you've just told me. And I realized that I wanted to create something that expanded beyond just myself and this funny little title of wizard I'd applied. So five years ago, four years on from that initial ritual, on this very date, I performed another ritual. This was the opening ceremony of this podcast as a ritual, which, if you're a new listener, would have been the more common sense place to start, but we're here, we're rolling with it, let's just keep going. So the idea of this podcast as a ritual was to expand the magic that I was engaging with outwards, to trust that that magic would find listeners and those listeners would interact with the podcast beyond just a producer-consumer dynamic, but rather truly engage with this magic, which meant that it would change their world. If someone just listened to an episode, even for two minutes, those were two minutes where they weren't doing something else. So therefore, they were in a different reality than they would have otherwise been. Now, some of you who have been listening for years, possibly even five years, if you've been listening to this podcast for more than five years, you're in the future. Congratulations. But for everyone else in this present moment with me, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, and even more so if you've ever written in to me or joined our Patreon or done one of the spells that me and a guest create at the end of an episode, this podcast has changed your life. Might be a small change, it might be a big change, 
But no matter what, I hope it made your reality slightly better. And that's the goal of this podcast, to create a shift for everyone who listens to it, comes onto it, or is a part of it in some way to help us work together to enter a slightly better reality. Now, on a global scale, it's debatable (laughs) if the world's gotten better from where I was five years ago. I would say in some ways it's gotten better, and in probably some ways it's gotten worse, but hey, that's the world for you. That's what it's going to do. And even though I call myself a wizard, I love to pull back the curtain and reveal the grand secret that I am in fact just some dude. I'm just some dude who had a weird idea, who did a magic ritual, and now spends my time talking into a microphone about magic, about reality, and about the changes we can create together. But even though I'm someone that wears robes and embodies the idea of a wizard, I'm just a human being. I'm trying to figure out how to make money and be creative and build friendships and maintain healthy relationships and just get my way through the world as best as I can, figure it out one step at a time. So right now, as I'm speaking to you, I only kind of have an idea of what I'm going to say. I've made some notes, but I'm not going on script, and we're going to figure it out together, warts and all, because that's part of what I've been exploring over this last year. I tried to write a book, and I did. (laughs) I wrote 100,000 words of a book, and then about maybe halfway through rewriting the book, I stressed myself out. And I realized I was putting way too much pressure on myself to put this out there on a specific timetable. And the contradiction that created between writing about ways to embody wizardry and use magic to enrich your life was not working with all of the time and stress I was putting into writing about those things and not actually doing them. So I took a step back. I released an episode talking about failure where I, for maybe one of the first times, went off script and just kind of let it flow. And I've been experimenting a lot. I've been trying to just mix it up and not just talk to guests and just do the same thing over and over, and instead let the magic be my guide and see where it leads. And I think this experience that I'm having is part of a larger vibe shift that I think a lot of people, but in some ways especially millennials, are noticing right now. For those of you in the distant future or who just aren't in the same age bracket as me, uh, I think the millennial experience of social media was pretty unique. We were on MySpace and saw that become Facebook and saw that become this vibrant ecosystem where we were connecting with old friends and getting into comment threads and sharing photos of parties. And it was about our lives and it was an extension of that. But somewhere along the way, that changed. And it became about this idea of growth. So it's not just about who your actual friends are, but it's about who your followers are and how do you grow your following. And for many millennials, that boiled down to the idea of personal branding. So instead of just being yourself, you had to be yourself, trademarked, registered, exaggerated, and optimized to fit into these nooks and crannies that the algorithms were prioritizing. So that happened in a variety of forms. Maybe someone just got really into breakfast photography and that was their personal brand and they were just showing off their home cooking and there you go. Okay, pretty harmless, right? But other people started to create exaggerated versions of their life, showing off their travel and how they're always just standing looking beautiful in front of a beautiful beach. And that led to commercialism and people saying, hey, if you're going to stand in front of a beautiful beach, why not do it at my resort? I'll hook you up for free or give you some money, and then that'll draw more people in. And suddenly, all of these people were using their personal clout, their network, their brand to shill for some fucking hotel or corporation or lotion cream or whatever it was. So we all ended up in this ecosystem that was not what we thought we signed up for. 
instead of just catching up with old friends or asking people for recipes, suddenly we were all charged with running our own little business empires and trying to promote an idealized version of ourself. And just like I was experiencing trying to get this book out, but feeling like the process of writing the book didn't really connect with what I was writing about, I think a lot of people experience that disconnect where the version of their lives they were trying to share on social media was really not what their actual life looked like. And, you know, it's debatable. I'm not a professional influencer. I don't know. I'm sure there's plenty of influencers that are rich and happy and living the dream. God bless them. But I think a lot of influencers behind the scenes were worried about changes to the algorithm and how to create content and how to make their content look effortless, even as they were getting more and more stressed out trying to keep up the illusion of this personal brand. And that's the thing that I think we all need to remember now, especially as we're kind of, again, entering a vibe shift and moving on to a new understanding of media, ourselves, and the world, is that celebrity and influencers aren't human. That isn't to say there isn't a human being at the center of it, but it is not a single individual. If you reach that kind of scale, you are a multi-person organism that includes managers and agents and photographers and consultants and all of the other things and people that allow that celebrity, that influencer, that quote-unquote personal brand to grow and to make content and to perform in that ecosystem. I've read before that one of the dirty secrets of the mommy blogger era was that a lot of these mommy bloggers, I'm not saying all, I'm saying a lot, were pretty wealthy. So they were able to have assistants and nannies and a whole staff helping them create the illusion that they're just baking cookies and having quality time with their kids and writing insanely long blog posts every day. And that's just their ability to just do that while you're trying to figure out how to go to work, maybe do some exercise, maybe cook some food, and maybe see some friends, and at some point try and relax into a day that just doesn't fit all of those things. So that feeds into this comparison, which then gives rise to all of those really yucky outgrowths of this era where people tried to then sell the secret back to you. So if your personal brand isn't taking off and you've still got a couple hundred followers and you want to have 100K, well, then someone's there to sell you that secret. And then, of course, that just creates this cycle of people trying to fake it till they make it, of more and more illusions proliferating. And suddenly we looked around and we realized, I can't see what my friends are eating for breakfast anymore. I'm not talking to my friends in a way that feels good. I'm arguing with relatives about politics. I'm seeing memes being shared that do not reflect a reality that I understand or agree with. And I'm seeing all kinds of distortions going on. And so now we're starting to take a second look at a very interesting time, which just so happens to coincide with the rise of AI. Ooh, artificial intelligence. Oh my gosh, we're all talking about it. What does it mean? And I think there's a couple of angles that are really important to consider right now. The first is, again, the difference between something that is human and something that is not. I'm not saying that humans are inherently good and things that are not are bad, but I think it's important to recognize the difference. So just like a celebrity or an influencer is actually a small conglomerate or corporation disguised as an individual, we're always dealing with a lot of these megacorps and giant tech companies and global platforms that aren't a single individual. Even if they have a spokesperson or figurehead like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, they're still being controlled by boards and different departments and vast collections of humans working together to try and figure something out, which is very different than an individual human. And so the other things that come to mind is, I mean, I think we're a little bit away from when AIs are going to run corporations, although not that far, but the different ways that we're interacting with AIs right now. 
The one that is, of course, getting the most press and promotion is generative AI, using something like ChatGPT or Dolly or MidJourney to create text or images. And we can read all kinds of articles that people have written about the ways that these are doing something interesting or ripping off human artists or they don't know what they're saying and they're not sentient. And I think that all misses the point. These are things that create content and they can do it very fast and they can do it much more than an individual human can. So if we've created an ecosystem where we're all trying to turn our human selves into personal brands so we can grow and thrive and get more followers and somehow that's going to turn into endorsements and money and it's all about generating content, well, we've just had a new contender enter the race and it's going to be able to dump a lot more content into these systems than any individual human can. But the creation of content is only half of the equation. The other part is the consumption of content, and that's where we've seen it shift as well, where some people took on this mantle of, I've got to do the personal brand, I've got to grow, I have this project, people need to listen to my album, they've got to care about my podcast, they've got to pay attention to me because I'm a skincare influencer. A lot of other people got tired and gave up and said, fuck that, I'm just going to scroll, I'm going to consume, and that's where the algorithm, which is AI, stepped in. And so something like TikTok is on the one hand training a bunch of people to make flashy little videos, but on the other is training a lot more people to lie in bed and just flick past algorithmically recommended content over and over and over and over. And it's hypnotic. It's designed to be. That is an artificial intelligence that is learning your tastes and preferences from micro interactions that are below your conscious awareness and then creating a feed customly tailored to exploit those weaknesses. That doesn't mean that you should consume zero content. I'm not trying to preach about any specific action. I'm just saying it's a good time for us to kind of look around and be aware of what are we consuming, why are we consuming it, and what are we creating, and why are we creating it. Now, one of the things that I've struggled with a lot in my nine years of being a wizard is the tension between, on the one hand, the millennial programming I received that I should be on social media and I should grow my personal brand as Devin Person, the wizard. And that's what it's all about. My podcast audience is supposed to go up. I'm supposed to get more patrons. I'm supposed to suddenly be profitable and be able to make my living off this. And then I get to fly around the world and take pictures on beaches and be America's, no, not America, the world's number one wizard influencer. And then I'll scale to infinite proportions. And that's the fantasy, right? And as a wizard, part of me knew that was bullshit. But as a human, I'm a sucker like everybody else. And I was trying to do my version of that. But there was a tension between those things. So it often felt like two steps forward, two steps back. So for example, just with this idea of influencers and wizardry, my wizard self was aware that I wanted to be a wizard full stop. I did not want to be a digital marketer disguised as a wizard. I didn't want to be a life coach just wearing the wizard branding. I wanted to embody wizardry, and that meant something more to me than just aesthetics or content creation or a theme for what to write about. It was something bigger and more sacred. And if I lost track of that, then I would become a shell, a charlatan, uh, uh, like a cardboard cutout, rather than the living breathing, eh, living, breathing wizard I wanted to be. But I didn't want to work at my day job. I wanted to be a wizard full-time, and I live in capitalism, so it had to make money somehow. So, okay, Here's the question. How do I authentically embody myself as a wizard while growing my wizard brand, but not falling victim to the mercy of an algorithm and end up creating what it wants me to create rather than what I want to create and chasing some sort of illusion of success, which would ultimately be harmful to my real existence as a person? 
And I got to tell you, that was quite the conundrum. And there was a couple of shifts that occurred. Moving out of New York was helpful. New York City is a wonderful city, but it's full of the people that want to move to New York, as well as the ones that are born there. But the people who want to move to New York and do are a little bit of a different breed. And they're the ones that are striving. They have ambition. They didn't want to stay in their hometown. They wanted to go to where the action was. So I think when I was in that environment, it was harder to not compare myself to these people who were pursuing and in many cases succeeding at things that I could only dream of. And of course, then there's all of the questions of comparison and who's got a secret trust fund and blah, 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 blah. Even though if you're living in New York, you know, if you're a creative in New York, you're already in a kind of rarefied status. So these comparisons of, oh, is the person one step above me got secret boost is more harmful than helpful, I think. So I moved to Kentucky and that changed my environment and my perspective, as will do. And then I was able to quit my tech job and open up my own business as a hypnotherapist, but without the wizard branding. And that's what I find fascinating is instead of becoming a quote unquote wizard, that's really just a digital marketer selling workshops. I was actually taking away the wizard aesthetic and fulfilling what I saw as the core purpose of a wizard which is a people helper. A wizard is there to help the hero on their quest, and the wizard does so with humor, with a wider perspective, and I think with hypnosis, that wider perspective is often resting in the unconscious. And when we engage with that unconscious information, when we make friends with our demons, when we use our imagination, that is a form of wizardry, and I'm very grateful for the work that I've been able to do with clients, and I gotta say, if I think about those branching possibilities, the one where I have a million followers on social media and I'm just working to analyze analytics and do wizard photo shoots versus just wearing a sweater and going in to sit in an office and help somebody make a change that could very literally save their life. I hope people quit smoking. I think quitting smoking is a pretty major shift in your life that can enhance your well-being. And so even if I'm not getting accolades for my wizardry in that, it feels good. And that's my day-to-day -day experience, and I think that's important. And then the other piece of the puzzle, I've got to give full credit to my partner, the poet Lisa Ann, L.A. Marks, who took a break from social media. Threads came out, and a lot of people who have been you know, vocal critics about these things were saying, hey, follow me on Threads. And she said, wait, hold the phone. We're just going to jump over to yet another Mark Zuckerberg-run platform and try and grow our personal brands and scale and do all of these things that are making us miserable? No. And so she took a break. And I thought about taking a break, but I was stuck in this pattern of thinking that I needed to be on social media to critique social media, which is a weird paradox, which, hey, I'm a wizard. We get stuck in weird paradoxes all the time. But when we decided to go to Sweden, I thought that was an opportunity to really log off. Part of me said, no, you have to go on and promote your podcast. But the algorithm punishes me when I promote my podcast and I get like 10 likes compared to when I share a meme I didn't make and it gives me hundreds of likes. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to take the month. I'm not going to be online at all. Let's see what happens. And the result was that I felt a lot better. And when I got back, I realized I thought it was a lot more wizardly to just not be chasing that carrot anymore and to do something else. And in conversations I've had with friends and clients and the things that I'm reading, it seems like I'm not alone in this experience. The social media landscape has changed. We're now more skeptical of the carrot, the reward, the idea that being a YouTuber, a content creator, a professional streamer is actually fun and enjoyable and not just a uh, lucrative nightmare. <laughs> lucrative for some, not for many. Um, and so I think everybody's kind of reevaluating, which is why on this five-year anniversary, I wanted to go down this uh, rabbit hole and kind of tease out where I'm at with all of this, what wizardry has to say about all of this, and think about where we're going to go next. So, when I became a wizard, I changed my name legally to Devin Person. And I chose the name Person for a reason, because I'm just a person. I'm not trying to be an industry or an empire. I'm just trying to be 
a person, a wizard, but a wizard person. And so now I'm rethinking, what does it mean to be a creator? What does it mean to be a consumer? What does it mean to be in relationship with your audience, your community? How does that all fit together? And that's what I've been exploring this last month. We've done a very special series, which I really enjoyed, called Talk to the Wizard. This idea came from a listener, Star, based in Australia, who had found the podcast on their wizard journey and reached out. And them reaching out to me inspired me, honestly, at a moment when I was kind of down and lost. When I saw this anniversary coming up and said, I don't even know how I'm steering this ship right now. How am I supposed to throw some sort of party? Where am I going with this? And so when Star said, I'd love to hear you do a mentoring session, I said, great, let's go, let's do it. So I spoke with Star, Frazier, Lee, Taylor, and A. And these were the five people that ended up being a part of this Talk to the Wizard series. But of course, there were many more applications, and I literally just spent all of today writing emails to every single one. So if you did not get an email from me yet, check your inbox, check your spam folder, or reach out to me if you didn't get one, because I definitely wrote you one, unless somehow the internet gods have played with us all yet again. But I did this for a reason, and I'm trying to break out of what I should be doing. All of the things that you would find in a blog post about how to grow your audience and how to cultivate engagement and all of that, you could call it self-sabotage, but I'm just going to say it's being real. I'm trying to make this sloppier and messier and more human because that's more authentic and we need that now more than ever. So even if the podcast ended tomorrow, which it won't, it's going to keep going, but even if it did, I'm really excited and proud of these Talk to the Wizard episodes. Because hopefully, and I've already heard from many of the participants that they have noticed the shift, that there has been some experience, some insight that came from that. And that shift can lead you on a whole different path, a whole different destiny towards that slightly better reality. And maybe you weren't one of those five people, but maybe one of those episodes inspired something within you. Maybe that gave you the idea to look at something that you've considered a flaw and realize it might be a superpower or to think about your phone and change that relationship, or just to explore your own imagination in a new way. And so that's what I'm trying to do. You interact with me, and it changes my world. I interact with you, and it changes your world. And there doesn't have to be a goal. There's not a final solution, some sort of teleological aim. It's just about play and interaction and people talking about magic because magic is weird and we like to talk about it. That's why I'm a wizard at the end of the day. I thought about all the things I could do and the things that I liked. I said, you know, I really like having weird conversations about magic. And if I dress like a wizard, I bet I'm going to have a lot more. So for a while, the idea of the podcast, especially at the very beginning, I was still trying to figure out how to make this a financial engine that I could survive off of. And I said, okay, you know, I got to have people participate more fully in the Patreon. And I got to tell you now, I don't give a shit. <laughs> the Patreon is amazing. If you have money and you can donate $4.20 and you want to be a part of it, please sign up and be a part of that community. And I want to hear your ideas about how we can grow that community. But if you can't, and you're just a casual listener or a devoted listener who just doesn't want to sign up for Patreon, that's fucking great. That's amazing. I love that. Say no to advertisements. Say no to wizards. Don't give me any money. You do you. You're still part of this ritual. Your magic is still real, and it's still what we're after. Because I've been thinking a lot more about this idea that used to get bounced around in that kind of blogosphere age of the late 2000s, uh, early teens, and it was put out by Kevin Kelly, uh, who founded Wired Magazine, where it was this idea about a thousand true fans. And what he said was, if you're an artist or a creator and you have a thousand true fans, a thousand people, wherever they are, that love your shit, and they're going to buy a hundred dollars on average worth of stuff from you each year, you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean, minus costs and all that other stuff, but you know, you're, you're making a livable income. So not everyone needs to try and be Taylor Swift or a big influencer on TikTok, 
which, spoiler alert, a lot of huge influencers don't make any money. It's just a ton of work. But if you have a thousand true fans who are really into what you're doing and there's some monetary exchange, you can survive as a creator. And so, okay, that would be great. If I had a thousand people on Patreon give me a hundred bucks a year, sure, why not? That'd be great. But I think there's the other angle, which is if you have a thousand true fans, that's a community. That's a group of people. That's a thousand human beings who care about the same thing. And as we enter this new era where we're already seeing it, where culture is fracturing all around us, and I'm not watching the same streaming service that you're watching, much less the same shows on those streaming services. Everything's multiplying. It's getting confusing. And oh, good Lord, when it starts to be AI generated, it's going to be so much worse because we're going to be lost. We're not going to have those shared reference points that you used to have when you walked into a coffee shop and you saw someone wearing a Smith shirt and you go, whoa. I like the Smiths too. And even if you had nothing else in common, you had the Smiths in common. And if you had the Smiths in common, you probably had something else in common. And so that was a way of relating. When I used to be part of punk culture, I was very aware that we were all flagging. And flagging means signaling to each other. When I put a patch onto my backpack or wore a spiked leather jacket or a ripped you know, a casualty shirt or whatever it might have been, I was putting out a signal for anyone else who knew what that was to resonate with me and say, hey, we're part of the same group. And a lot of punk fashion is so out there because it's a higher cost. If you're just wearing a Ramon shirt, you might not even have heard of the Ramones. If you're wearing a Misfit shirt, it's just a logo. It's just the aesthetic at that point. But if you're wearing an obscure Finnish crust bands shirt and somebody else recognizes it, you two know what's going on in a different way. You're part of a tribe. And so that's kind of what I'm thinking about now, is how does this podcast, this ritual, this idea of wizardry create a tribe? And I don't mean a tribe is in a pyramid scheme. I'm not saying that I want to be at the top of that and it's all about paying your dues and the money goes up and up and up to me. I'm just thinking about how do we take a moment to recognize that if you're listening to this podcast as a ritual, you're interested in wizards, you're interested in magic, and you're interested in ritual. I'm the one that's giving voice to the idea. I'm the center of the storm. Okay, that's my role. But if you're listening and resonating with it, that means we have a lot in common. And it's not just a one-way thing. We're both interested in the same material. We share that. I'm not just telling you what to think and believe. You like this because I'm giving voice to things that you already think and believe ideas that you've tried to formulate. That's why if anything I've ever said in this episode or in this podcast as a whole resonated with you, it resonated with something in you. If I said something totally out of the blue that you'd never considered on any level of your mind, you just go, oh, that's weird. But if I say something about the world, about social media, about magic, about what wizards are, and you go, whoa, whoa, that's crazy. Hold on. That experience of epiphany, of illumination, is because we have created a connection. The thing that flows through me, and I don't know where I get my ideas from, they're coming up from my murky unconscious too. And it's coming through me, out my mouth, into this microphone, into a wire, into my computer, which goes into a globally connected network of computers, and then ends up on your computer or your phone, where you listen to the words, vibrate through the air, and then you hear them with your little bony ears, and then you process them with your brain, and they resonate with what's already there, and you go, whoa, that's crazy. And that's how we're connecting. So, how do we move forward into the future? Well, let's just think about these as informational ecosystems. And right now, we're seeing a lot of informational ecosystems collapse. It'd be like if you let loose too many invasive species and poured poison into the rivers, and then suddenly all you had was nasty vines and breeding hornets or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> and you just had a place that, you know, is not beautiful and idyllic anymore. And I think if you look at Twitter or X or whatever it's called and Facebook and Instagram and even more often TikTok, 
we see that happening. This is clearly the effect of an informational ecosystem that has gotten overrun with parasites and spam and poisons and isn't healthy. It's not vibrant. It's not fun to partake in. It doesn't feel enriching. It feels kind of sad and gross and yucky. So what's the opposite of that? Well, if the goal of those informational ecosystem eh, informational ecosystems media platforms was infinite growth to just scale users up and up and up until they became so bloated they kind of collapsed it on themselves and died i think we can recognize that we want to have a sustainable information ecosystem i can only look at so many posts i can only follow so many friends why would i want to go to a party with 50 million people. I'm only going to talk to a handful. Wouldn't it be a little bit nicer to go to a party where you can get to know everybody, where you can recognize people, where you can remember their names? And that's what I seek in my social life. I mean, great. If you love to go to festivals, have fun. That's awesome. But there's a certain scale where it's no longer a festival. It's a freaking city. It's like if you're going to New Orleans, you're going to have the experience that you have in New Orleans with you and your friends and the strangers and people that you meet. If you go to Burning Man, it's the same thing. If you go to a giant music festival, it's the same thing. All of those other people in the background can add to that experience in some way. But at a certain point, which happens very quickly at that scale, you're completely unaware of what's going on. You don't know what's happening with those people, who that person is, what's going on on the other side of that stage. You can't possibly be aware of all of that. You're only getting this one slice. So why don't we start thinking about smaller slices? I host a monthly event called Wizard Wednesday. I was at it last night. The magic of the event is very silly and very stupid, and I'm so delighted by it because people ask me all the time. Someone asked me, they came for their first time, and they said, okay, so what's going to happen? And I said, nothing. I wear wizard robes. It's called Wizard Wednesday. A bunch of awesome people are going to show up. They're all going to be very friendly because they're here for Wizard Wednesday. And that's the vibe. We all share that. And so you're going to talk to them. You're going to meet them. And you're going to talk to me at the end and say, I get it now. And that's all that's going to happen. I'm not doing a performance, even though it's like the night before my anniversary of being a wizard. I didn't feel like doing a performance. I wanted to just be a regular person and hang out with people I like and know. So that was it. And at the end of the night, she came over and she looked at me and I said, you get it now? She said, absolutely. Because, I mean, how many people were there last night? I don't know, like 20 max, max. And that's a manageable number. That's enough that if you go to a monthly event with the same 20 people, you recognize people, you remember people, you know, oh, you're looking for an apartment, aren't you? And, oh, hey, I needed to introduce you to my friend that we talked about last time who plays since. Here, you two should chat. And all of those connections are magic. I make the joke a lot and haha and being cheeky, but I really do think that magic is the friends you make along the way. I would rather be sitting at a local business with 20 other people enjoying fun conversation and games than sitting at home checking the analytics on my 100,000 follower account or, you know, speaking to a giant auditorium full of people and then going back to my green room alone. I mean, there's times and places for those kinds of things, but I think that community, in person especially, is really something else and really magical. But, of course, this is a podcast. This is not just a group of friends hanging out in a neighborhood tavern. And so how do we create a connection between those two ideas? People talk about parasocial relationships, and that's something that a podcast really does create, this feeling of intimacy where... It's kind of like we're having a conversation, but I can't really hear you, and I'm just the one talking the whole time. But again, it comes back to this idea of sharing. So even if we're not all going to get online for a monthly Zoom call, although we used to do that on the Patreon, and it was pretty fun, and I might start it again. But anyways, even if we're not going to all somehow create this tight thousand-person unit of true wizards across the world, we share an idea, and we can think of that idea as a seed in this sustainable information ecosystem as a place to care for and nurture and grow that seed. And so what is that seed? My friends, it's the wizard archetype. There are other podcasts about magic. 
there are other ways of thinking about magic. You can be very traditional and be interested in old-timey grimoires, and I think that's awesome, but I don't really talk about that that much on this podcast. There's herbs and phases of the moon and traditional pagan holidays and all of the things we tend to associate with witchcraft, and I think that stuff's awesome. I also don't talk about it on the podcast very much because of all the different flavors of magic. The one that I care about is wizardry, and my understanding of wizardry is that wizardry is about the wider perspective. It's about looking underneath the rock to see what wriggles and squirms. It's about looking behind the curtain to see the human being, not just the big green head that shoots flames. Wizardry is a way of looking at the world, of not having answers, but asking questions. And so for me in this journey so far, what I can tell you is that I'm still a person, but I'm connected to an archetype. Nine years ago, the ritual that I did, whether you believe in any kind of supernatural magic or not, connected me with an idea. I created a personal brand insofar as I branded that idea into my person and said, I am going to be a person who talks about wizards a lot. I'm going to tell people that I'm a wizard, that I'm a wizard. I'm going to answer them when they ask what that means or not answer them when they ask what that means sometimes. I'm going to dress like a wizard. I'm going to walk around New York. I'm going to make a podcast. I'm going to write books. I'm going to put this idea of wizardry out there. And that magic is going to find other people who say, yes, I like magic, but I also like wizardry in particular. And some of them will probably take on the mantle of the wizard. Some of you already have. In a lot of the messages I got for the Talk to the Wizard series, I heard people saying, hey, I really like this podcast. It really resonates with the things that I'm going through, and it's really inspired me to be my own authentic self by being a wizard in my own way. And so that's one of the other questions I get asked a lot is, well, how do I become a wizard? And while my dear friend Gilly Sunshine loves to perform a ritual to turn you into a wizard on the spot, I don't do that. <laughs> I definitely do not do that. I tell people the first step is you've got to figure it out. You have to figure out what does being a wizard mean to you and how are you going to make that real? What's the difference between just saying, oh, I'm a wizard and I am a wizard. I'm on that journey myself. I still am trying to figure out what that means. That's why I'm talking to a microphone right now on the anniversary of the ritual I originally performed because I believe these things resonate throughout time. And by making this podcast right now and by performing the ritual that I'm going to perform tonight, I am reaching back through time to help guide that younger version of myself towards his inevitable destiny. But I'm not doing that alone. The wizard archetype goes beyond me. And in this, I think it's different than what I was discussing earlier about how a celebrity is not a single human. A celebrity or an influencer is a human-shaped package. There is a human at the center, but there is a whole lot of other people creating that illusion. And often the human at the center is having a mixed time. I mean, the Grateful Dead, for example, became a corporation. There was truck drivers and roadies and their families and lighting designers and all of these people who were making their living driving around putting on Grateful Dead shows, not to mention the secondary ecosystem of people selling weed in the parking lot. But out of all of that, the band The Grateful Dead, I mean, Jerry Garcia was a heroin addict smoking crack in the locked bathroom and everyone was kind of aware, like, yeah, this tour life is killing this guy but the show must go on right and so that engine of the corporation kept it moving forward even though that individual human was being harmed now i think the archetype relationship is a little bit different i think it's actually a lot of bit different because i'm not just taking on this mantle i'm feeding back into it it flows both ways so when somebody says a wizard I want to know more. That's the wizard archetype igniting within them. They have an idea of what a wizard is and it's resonating and that's giving them that aha moment, that epiphany, that curiosity that brings them towards me. So me interacting with the archetype, that word wizard, them having that curiosity, there's a wizard? I want to meet the wizard. That is that archetype being shared between us and bringing us together. But I'm also 
feeding into it by sitting here and making this podcast, by talking about wizardry. This podcast might be listened to by somebody who's never heard of wizards. They don't have that already in, and that plants that seed, and that's what I'm talking about. If someone listens to this podcast as a ritual and goes, I never really thought much about wizardry before, but now I'm really into it. And maybe 10 years from now, they go, I'm going to become a wizard. There's more and more wizards, and the world needs more wizards, and I'm going to be one. And so that seed has grown. And that's part of this ecosystem that we're creating. We're all planting this seed of wizardry in each other's minds. We're all watering it with our passion, with our excitement, with our good vibes. Because if I was trying to sell you a here's how to become a wizard kit, that's not the right vibe. And that's going to create a different ecosystem, which is going to be more predatory. And I think ultimately try and scale and then collapse into Roth, yeah, into rot and all of those nasty things because it's not the right vibe. And I think when we're talking about an archetype, we need to have that moment where we go beyond the normal grounded explanations and we open up to recognize this is something that exists in a realm beyond our own. Humans interact with this imaginal realm, but it's not just our own flights of fantasy. It's something beyond us and that is powerful and that is what gives meaning to our world. The interaction with those greater ideas where we can't even see the whole scope, but we feel it. That's when a moment feels meaningful because you recognize this moment goes beyond just what's happening. There's a larger dimension or when a piece of art, when a movie or a song hits that note and it feels meaningful. It's not, oh, I understand the analysis of this film and I can read an essay on it. It is the awareness that you could write an essay on it. You could write hundreds of essays on it because there is this dimension of meaning that you just got access to. And so that's what I think wizardry is here for. Wizardry is a door. It is a question. It is a force that imbues our world, not only with the power of this fantasy, but also with the understanding that fantasy has power and that is something that we need to move towards and interact with. So wizardry is both the example, the archetype, and the invitation, the reminder that this is what it is, the explainer. We're like the little fairy that explains the rules in Zelda. We're helping you realize this is a game and you can play it differently. So there's the power of fantasy. And this could be fantasy as in Dungeons and Dragons and Lord of the Rings and those very literal wizard things, but it's also personal fantasy. What do you want your life to look like? What do you care about? What ideas excite you? What are these other realms that you engage with and interact with? And how do we prioritize our relationship to it? Not treating it like a mine that we're going to harvest content from. The creative process is just endlessly toiling and digging to just get a post out there to make another podcast. No, I'm speaking passionately because I am touching that realm of fantasy right now and feeling that power move through me. And I'm doing so because I think we need to understand the fantasy of our problems. Now, this will be sensitive to some because, yes, there's a lot of bad stuff in the world right now. I'm not trying to minimize that. When I say the fantasy of our problems, I'm not saying that those things aren't real, but the way we engage with them isn't. If you are in a war zone, that is real. If you are reading news about a war zone, you are engaged with the fantasy of that problem. Again, this is not a derogatory term. I'm just talking about the layer of experience. If you are constantly focused and fixated on problems, you are enmeshed in the fantasy of problems. There is some satisfaction on some level with taking those on and critiquing them and wrestling with them. And if you are affected by these problems, if you are feeling like you are ground down by patriarchy, that sexism holds you back, that racism is a threat to your life. That is real. I am not trying to dismiss that in any way, but there is a fantastic dimension where we fixate and we just rotate and we just 
analyze from every angle and we critique and we point out more problems and we generate more problems and we just relish in our point of view where we know what these problems are and we're not into them and we're identifying them as problems and that is the fantasy. So I want to solve these problems too. Believe you me, I'm not a big fan of war or famine or corporate control or all of the threats to democracy that we're currently experiencing or all of the bullshit and pain that's in the world. It sucks. <laughs> I get it. Totally sucks. But I think we need to harness the power of fantasy to defeat the fantasy of problems and create something that is not just the same old, same old but it's also not this utopia that we just long for but never reach, but is that shift towards a slightly better reality. So, how do we engage with these different levels? Well, what is beauty? Not what is good, what is bad, but what is beauty? If we look at these different landscapes, you imagine looking at a landscape that's full of McDonald's and highways and trash and litter and, you know, like almost like a cartoon against pollution, like oil spilling into a river. Is that beautiful? Most of us would think not. If you look at a landscape that feels healthy and vibrant and alive, flowers blooming, trees spreading their leaves, animals chasing each other, eating each other, killing each other. It's not just good vibes only but it's still beautiful. And so I think we can let that idea of beauty be our guide because beauty connects to fantasy and that connects us to that realm where we experience something that goes beyond the immediate and opens up into something that feels infinite and broader and more beautiful. So the goal, I think, is to be aware of scammers and parasites and spam and junk and pollution as forces that detract from beauty, that take away from our experience of shared connection and resonance with fantasy. If we can all engage on a human level, person to person, not putting that illusion forward of who we want to be, but as authentically ourselves, then we can resonate because that resonance isn't just about the good ideas, cool stuff like wizardry. In the Talk to the Wizard series, if you liked those episodes, you liked them because we were talking about people's problems. And you like them because their problems resonated with your problems. And instead of engaging in the fantasy of problems where we just said, wow, these problems are huge and we can't do anything about it. We engaged with that fantasy with more fantasy. We created imaginal dreamscapes. We flipped things inside out. We said, these rocks are magical. That is how I think wizardry can move us forward. And the world is going to get weirder, folks. I say it all the time. Oh boy, when we hit the 10-year anniversary of this podcast as a ritual, I will be saying so many I told you so's because the world's going to be fucking weird as shit when we get there. I promise you that. But hopefully, as weird as it's going to be, it's also beautiful and more full of wizardry. Not an infinite scaling wizardry. We're always going to be small. We're always going to be the underdog. That's our purpose. We're a seed, but more wizardry. So to round this out, I want to touch on two final ideas. Let's start with a quote from Milton from Paradise is Lost. The mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell a hell of heaven. The world is about to get so weird and big that there's no singular narrative. I mean, that's happened a long time ago. It's never really been a singular narrative. We had the illusion of one for a long time and that is gone. There might be elections where no one knows who won because there's two different fan fiction realities happening side by side. And if you're in that bubble, you're just like, yep, this is what's happening now. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Trump has seized the White House. No, he hasn't. Yes, he has. I'm reading a news story about it. I think it's true. You think it's not. Unless we go to Washington, D.C., we're not going to know. And so if we imagine that not as some hellscape of disinformation, but a world of possibility, a world imbued with fantasy, we can get a sense of how we, not just through wishful thinking and manifestation, but through engagement, can make a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. How do we find those doorways that open into that wider space of meaning and imaginal reality and significance and beauty? And how do we help pull the weeds out of the garden? 
to get the little, I don't know, what is it, like the aphids, the ladybugs. I forget what's the thing that you don't want on the plants. I'm not a gardener. But get those things out of your plants and get the good things onto your plants and have that garden grow vast and beautiful and all of those things that we aspire to and our informational ecosystems, making our realities a slightly better place. Because the other side of this AI thing is science fiction. And my other passion beyond fantasy and wizardry is science fiction. So I want to end this episode by talking about something I mentioned in that very first opening ceremony and I don't talk about as often anymore. This is the idea of a very special listener. If we think about this podcast as a ritual, as an object, a hyper object that exists in time and space, and it starts with my idea when it's just barely a seed in my brain, and it grows into something that I'm doing, and it grows into that opening ceremony where there's 42 people in a room, and they're the first listeners, and then it extends out into the moment where it finds you, and then it keeps going, and at some point, I'm going to stop making it, or I'm going to die, and then there's going to be more listeners after my death. And there could be people who are doing research in the future about 21st century wizardry and going back to this as one of the core sources. And eventually, in the wilds of the future, where there's AI content everywhere and servers are collapsing and who knows what else is happening, somebody's going to listen for the final time and then that's the end of the object. Unless there is something at the end that will absorb that information. Maybe it's an artificial intelligence that's just sucking in information from servers. Maybe it's some sort of godlike being that can read the history of the universe as easily as you or I could read a paperback. I don't know what it's going to be. Now, you're going to start hearing a lot more about these effective altruists and accelerationists. And just to quickly explain, explain see, raw, unedited, flowing, that's what we're doing, being human. Anyways. Effective altruists come from this blog, Less Wrong, about rationalism and this idea that, and I'm, if, if, if you know more about this and I'm getting it wrong, whatever, <laughs> don't write me an email, I don't care. I'm getting the broad strokes right, I'm paraphrasing. But anyways, the idea of the effective altruist is how can I do the most good with what I have? So if I'm going to give a dollar to a homeless person, is that going to make a difference or should I give that dollar to, you know, public housing so that person doesn't become homeless in the first place? How do I use my rational brain and my money that I've made from working in tech to most effectively help the world? Now, that sounds like a, you know, kind of reasonable idea. Like, okay, you know, if I'm going to give to a charity, which one do I want to give to? But then it gets weird when those people start to imagine that there's a future civilization where billions and billions and billions and billions of lives are created in simulations or wherever else or humans spread throughout the galaxy and that the idea of more human lives more sentience equals better is the one metric and so even if we killed off 99% of the population today but that meant that there was a huge growing in the future that would be more worthwhile in the long run which you know there's really some some pretty clear ethical issues with that but that's what they believe but they're pretty fixated on the idea that the risk of artificial intelligence, that there's going to be some superhuman godlike AI that can just wipe us out, uh, is a big threat and they want to mitigate it. Whereas the accelerationists are like, yeah, come on, giant robot god, let's go, get here faster. And on the less wrong message board, there was an idea thought experiment called Rocco's Basilisk, where someone was saying, if there is this hypothetical future AI god and it's going to be aware of who helped it come into being and who didn't, wouldn't it reincarnate those who didn't in like a simulation and torture them? And I don't know, there's more to it. It's kind of convoluted. I think it's kind of nonsense. But the idea is if this God is imminent and we're moving towards it, don't we want to worship it appropriately? Now, I bring this up because in our very first episode, I talked about this very special listener and how that's where we're moving towards. That eventually there might be this supreme AI god whatever it's going to be beyond our comprehension that as it absorbs all this information will listen to my little podcast and how fun is that but this ties into another idea that i found very influential this idea came from a jesuit priest named Talhad de chardin who wrote a book called the phenomenon of man that he wasn't allowed to publish by the catholic church they said no that's that's too out there 
and he was very devout, so he didn't publish it in his lifetime, but had it published posthumously, which, that's badass, Tailhard. I love that you did that. Way to find that loophole <laughs> where the church can't control what you do after you're dead. That's awesome. Uh, but anyways, Tailhard de Chardin was a Jesuit priest and a scientist. You know, He was um, a geologist, I believe, and this book is about evolution, not just evolution of life, but evolution of the cosmos and the way that matter is transforming and constantly developing what he called a greater within. So if you think about a rock, it's kind of just a rock. It's got the outer surface, all the physical properties, but it doesn't really have a rich inner life. Whereas a plant is alive, has a little bit more going on, an animal even more going on, and then humans with our self-awareness even more. And he was one of the first people to talk about the idea of a new sphere, about how our whole planet now is becoming more enriched with information, information that we can't necessarily see. I mean, it's literally being stored in you know, binary code and computer servers, but this and Wi-Fi signals, this vast field of information is growing more and more and more. And if we just imagine that continuing, that the world is going to just become more and more full of information, that we're going to create better and better AIs that can create simulations of the entire earth within a single computer, and that those will proliferate. And suddenly, we're going to turn the entire earth into one big hard drive that's running a million simulations. So now it's just incredibly dense. Maybe all the animals died and there was global warming and all this stuff that we as humans are probably not going to be stoked on. But this idea that there's just more and more within. And what Chardon was thinking is this evolution, this giant process, is the process of God, the totality of all of that, becoming self-aware. So... If you are God, you are an incredibly complex thing. And, you know, we humans struggle to understand ourselves. I've been talking for about an hour <laughs> just to get a few ideas out there that don't even encompass me. So if you think about the most complex idea you could ever imagine and how you would explain it, if it's the most complex idea you'd ever imagine, the explanation is, in a sense, equally complex. And for it to be an explanation, there needs to be an explainer and a listener and that's what we are in. Basically, we are God answering the question of what is God, and that's all moving forward to this kind of dawning understanding as this within unfolds and multiplies and everything becomes more and more information rich. That is that understanding taking place that we are all part of. So what the fuck does that have to do with wizardry or a podcast or any of that shit? Well, Here's my idea. The wizard archetype is again connecting us to that power of fantasy, that greater informational realm that we have access to through that feeling of meaning and beauty. And that that wizard idea as the one that's looking at the wider perspective. If you've ever seen the Flammarion engraving, it's this kind of old alchemical thing where someone's lifting up the curtain at the edge of the world and peeking out to see the stars. Very Truman Show vibe. That's the wizard. And as we enter more and more confounding and confusing and limiting and fascist information ecosystems, especially the ones that are rotting and awful and ugly, it's going to be very important for us to open up that curtain, to peek out, to see that wider world and find that beauty and that greater space of meaning and to get out of the places we don't want to be and escape those limiting systems. So if we think of wizardry as an archetype, we can think of wizardry as the exit menu. It's what brings you back to the game menu. It's what gets you out of the limited game and into the wider world, helps you see the map. And so as we're moving into an increasingly weird future, we need to plant that idea so that in all the different informational ecosystems that form, there's some wizard that's there to show the way out, to remind people of beauty, and the power of fantasy. And as this all goes on into the future and we reach that very special listener, that God that is becoming self-aware through our experience, my hope is wizardry can be that little seed of an idea that grows into that blossoming realization that none of this makes any sense. So we might as well 
enjoy a laugh, and find the beauty where we can. It's been an amazing journey for me so far. These nine years have led me to places I could have never imagined myself being, to beautiful moments with friends and strangers and all of the things that I've gotten to experience because I thought, you know what? Why not be a wizard? But the magic of this podcast has been more important than I ever realized. I didn't have this idea at all when I was in that room alone nine years ago. And even five years ago, when I was standing around thinking about what it could become, I didn't know the names and faces of the listeners and participants that I would get to meet. And even right now as I speak, I don't know the names and faces of the people who are resonating with these words, who are going to join forces with me, with you, with each other, to bring more wizardry into this world. So don't be afraid to reach out. I'm literally just a person sitting in a room with some very poorly put up soundproofing, talking into a microphone, getting ready to go eat dinner. I'm a human being. Today is November 30th, 2023. I'm just a person, just like you. But I'm also a wizard, just like you are or might be or might just be interested in. And so together, I think we can make some magic and I think we can make our future, a slightly better reality. I believe in you. Your magic is beautiful. Mm-hmm.